is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Loftus Cheek, and you're listening to the London, London is Blue, Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode of the London is Blue podcast. Dan, one of your hosts here, and look, Todd Bowley does not stop he is putting us to work we thought the squad had it easy we thought the players had it easy your podcasters do not have it easy at this moment with the way chelsea's january transfer window is going and look no brandon and nick you know what this is it's the nani Matuike player profile special with wonderful friend and contributor Sam, you know him as CFC Central. And look, Sam, the people are asking. They're wondering how the football injury is going. They're wondering how you're feeling. They're wondering if you're staying awake. How are you getting rest? They're concerned about you. So can you just first and foremost put the people's minds at rest and at ease to let them know that you're in good shape and you have not been coerced to say that? Uh, Thank you so much, Dan. First of all, I mean, I I would also like to thank everybody who's been sending their thoughts and prayers during this insane transfer market sort of window it's it's been it's been crazy i was just i tried to sit for a few minutes and figure out how many games i'd watched and i'm I'm approaching 300 now in seven months so yeah it's it's been it's been dizzying i would say but it's also a nice way to to take into account just how quickly the club is moving and i think that's encouraging and obviously, the opportunity to sit with you and talk transfers is is you know has its own appeal and has its own charm. So I'm I'm not complaining at all. I mean I'm happy. Um, should write an email to Christopher Vivell to see if he has some kind of a Red Bull sponsorship still up for grabs. I think I would thoroughly enjoy that. But other than that. I think my sanity is intact. Well, look, we had people like Danny and Fatal Ferret both leaving very nice comments. We also had someone like Jerry who left a note on Twitter saying that uh, there's an expensive bottle. Or whatever you like should be on offer at the end of this. I think the best bottle that anybody could offer you between now and the end of the season is Arsenal somehow fumbling this title charge they're on. I don't know if we can make that happen, but maybe our collective will and desire for that to not happen is something the universe could provide to you. I don't think there's a better better bottle of anything that we could provide you. Yeah, I mean, a 2023 vintage of Arsenal tears. Oh, please, pour me a glass, nice and chilled on ice, and I would love that. Absolutely no better drink. Okay, Jerry, you heard what the man needs. See if you can get that happening. Anyway, this episode, we're going to go through Noni Meduweke, the new Chelsea player coming from PSV in the Dutch League. And look, there's a whole lot for us to talk about. We're going to get into the strengths. We're going to get into the weaknesses. We're going to talk about where he fits in the side, impact other players. But we're going to start a little bit of a new tradition here in these player profiles that Sam and I do. We have our three-word match review when it comes to reviewing the matches. We don't want to reuse that, though. And Sam, I had the idea, based upon our last episode, that we tell terrible jokes. Just Let's just put it out there. That we could engage in a little transfer, terrible transfer pun, terrible transfer joke about the player who has just arrived uh, to really lower the listeners' expectations of us so they will continue to be re-impressed for the remainder of the episode. Oh, no, I mean, it, I think it's a fantastic idea, just the fact that two failed comedians are trying to hold a show for an hour long together. So it's definitely going to be interesting. I'm going to think mine up while you uh, do the honors of telling the audience what your beautiful joke is. Well, I put it out on Twitter. So I gave myself to the lines as a little bit before this episode. But we do have Christopher Favell, did come from Red Bull. And look, it's, you know, Red Bull former technical directors, give you wingers. You know, that, that is exactly what has happened here. We are getting more wingers. We got Mikhailo. You know, we have Noni now. Like, you're, we're just collecting them at this point. It's Infinity Stones. I don't know what it is, but Red Bull gives you wingers is what I've come up with. And please, roast me appropriately. And Sam, let's see if you can do fractionally better so that the audience continues to hold you in much higher regard. No, I think I'll do worse and save you the roasting. I I was thinking before this episode, like, what do you call our front line? And then I came up with this theme of how we've been shopping a lot. So maybe Havertz, Mudrik, and Madhueke. So are we h and <laughs> Okay. I like, I like where you went with that. Yeah. Did you, did you hear that, Dan? That's, that's a collective thousand face pumps. 
Oh, well, uh, hopefully nobody injured themselves uh, knocking their head into something as they listened to it. But we're going to get in. We're going to start with the narrative. So let's talk about Medueke and the narrative, the, the story, how he has come to be a Chelsea, his footballing journey. For those who don't know, there is a little bit of a uh, England connection, Tottenham connection, youth footballing in the UK connection. That is something we have to reference there as a part of that story. But he has been tearing it up in the in the Dutch league. And so, Sam, I'll turn it over to you. You're the storyteller. Run us through what we need to know about Nani's background in general. Yeah, so he joined Crystal Palace at the age of nine, uh, moved to Spurs three years later, unfortunately. Then captain there under 16 side, went on to play for the under 18s at the age of just 15. After that, he was quoted by multiple clubs. So there were Chelsea, there were Manchester United, and also heavy interest from from Red Bull Leipzig. And there's um, a couple of interviews that talk about how he himself rejected those offers because he felt that he needed to be part of the first team picture straight away. So he decided to go to, to the Netherlands and, and play for PSP. So he moved at a very young age, at 16. And uh, that's where he basically trained under Ruud van Nistelrooy, one of the best finishers the Premier League has ever seen. And uh, Madueke also credits him for improving his finishing, improving his his overall forward play. So in terms of development, I don't think you can ask for a better mentor. So he stayed there. And also at that point in time, PSV were, I think, enjoying some of the best forwards, young forwards to, to be at the club for a long, long time. You obviously had Madueke. You also had Cody Gakpo. You also had Daniel Malin. And um, all three of them were basically looking to, to take PSV to the Eredivisie and and making sure that they were back at the pinnacle of Dutch football. But then Marlon's move happened to Dortmund, and then Gakpo moved to Liverpool, so Madueke now gets his big move to Chelsea. So that's the narrative. He seems like he's he's extremely driven in terms of what he wanted to do. It's hard to believe that he's still 20 years old. I mean, when you look at whatever his strengths and weaknesses are, I think I had to, I had to hold myself back a little, saying, you know, I need to judge this guy differently, because whatever he's showing... He's still basically in the infancy of his career. A lot of the times, uh, players tend to be late bloomers as well. If you look at Diego Costa, I think, um, was still playing semi-amateur football by the age of 16, 17. So maybe looks like even at this age, by the time he's 23, 24, he could still be a completely different player. So very exciting signing indeed. And I'm glad that he's made the move to the right side of London. Well, we always enjoy when someone has made the move to the right side of London, uh, the west side. And we would just want to kind of indicate that there are plenty of strengths too. I mean, you mentioned that you had to hold yourself back. He's only 20. I'm sure people have started looking up some of the you know, European competitions that he has featured in already, had a chance to play and perform in, and there were some good clips that came out. Uh, I know that you've watched about 500 hours of film on him, so uh, you're going to have a little bit more of a well-rounded answer as to what some of those strengths are. I think what I saw in the few hours that I was researching, uh, again, uh, just a, a infinitesimally small amount compared to what you've kind of put in, um, the speed really caught me. Um the shooting, I thought the fact that he is a, a frequent shooter, um, you know, is just something that looks like, oh, this would be really helpful in the way that Graham Potter wants to play, that Chelsea want to play, where you have someone who not only, you know, has the, the know-how to get to the end line very quickly or to cut in, but really has actually think a generally a well-rounded skill set uh, to be making a move at this age uh, in this early more complete of a player than I thought we were getting, given the the age and, and the price tag. No, I think you've you've very well defined strengths in terms of you picked up on. Um, it's also been an up and down trajectory for him. Obviously, we will talk about that in in the weaknesses section and then what the issues have been. But in terms of what you want from your wide player, the the fundamentals in terms of what you want him to be doing at this age and. Obviously, young young wingers, you want them to be extremely fearless in the way that they approach challenges. I think in terms of the mindset, he's there. He's definitely somebody who enjoys the take-on aspect of it. He loves the the artistry of beating people 1v1. He loves the entire aspect of showboating and, and basically being a showman. It's something that he's 
talked about in an interview as well. So in terms of his mentality and in terms of being able to execute it, I think he's he's very, very adept. Um, the strengths, the first one, like you pointed out, I would say his dribbling is definitely his his strongest strength, something that he himself attests to, says that his speed and his dribbling are his best suits. Um, he's technically very gifted when he's dribbling. He also reminds me of of players who play in in cages, the cage football trend of dribbling. He's extremely good in tight spaces. And he's not really about, you know, pure speed and venom. If you look at Mudrik, for example, on the other flank, a lot about speed and, and the ability to just knock it into space and and leave your opponent in the dust. I think Madhuik is a little more tempered in that sense that he he likes deception. Um, something that I'd like to bring up very interesting is that Kaoru Mitoma, who's now playing for Brighton, the Japanese international, he actually did a thesis on dribbling. And for that, he attached a GoPro camera to his head and he studied it in terms of what is the most effective technique to beat your opponent. And he came up with the fact that, you know, he said, I'm conscious about shifting the opponent's center of gravity. If you move the enemy's body, you win. And I think that's something that Madhuweke grasps very, very well. It's all about trying to throw the opponent off. Can you do a feint? Can you can you fake? Can you basically shift your body in a way that that makes your opponent react? And then you make your, your second reaction. So he reacts to the opponent rather than making a predetermined action about, yes, I'm going to dribble in this direction. So he's very smart in the way he dribbles, very intelligent. And um, his numbers also reflect it. He's been in the 99 percentile of dribbles completed and attempted in Europe's top eight leagues in every season since his senior debut. I think oh, the only metric he falls short is 98 percentile for attempted in his very first season. But other than that, he's been in the top one percentile since he's made his senior debut. So very good wow. in terms of not just attempting a high volume of dribbles, but also completing them. Um, dribble success rate is also very good. He's got 62.5% in his first season, 63.3, last season. This season, he's dropped a little bit to 40%, but again, it's, it's a very small sample size. I think he's only played five games out of which two he started. So I wouldn't really worry about that. He's also attempting more dribbles than, than any other season in his senior career. I think he's somewhere close to nine now, but, um, yeah, overall, I think his his dribbling skill set is is extremely good. I think he will be a menace to come across one v one. He's he's done it against some very good sides in Europe. Incidentally, also played against Wesley Fofana when they met Leicester in last season's Conference League, and uh, did pretty well. He was he was pretty good um, at the time he played, and this time he's played with against Arsenal. He also impressed in in some cameos there. So um, yeah, the skill set against high level opponents is is there you know it's it's not just against um go ahead eagles and with all due respect and um you know twenty and head and win and all the dutch sides but he's doing it on the biggest stage so uh definitely one thing to look out for the second thing like i said is speed um his speed and acceleration over i would say short and medium distances um it reminds me a lot about eden Hazard, and i mean this in a very respectful way not in the sense that he can be as good as him or he is as good as him, but in the sense that Eden wasn't explosive over long distances. He, when he hit top speed, it didn't look like he was ripping everybody to shreds. It was just quickness. It was just agility and the ability to, to burst away after sort of throwing opponents off. And this is exactly what Madueke does. He just uses, you know, the deception first, and then he has the advantage of of exploding either side and getting past opponents. The same way that Eden would roll his his boot over the ball and, and he would go the other side. You see glimpses of that in Matuweke. So he's not going to be a Mudrik style, high, high absolute, like upper spectrum speed kind of dribbler, but somebody who's more wily, more cunning in the way that he deceives opponents. So that's also going to be one thing to look out for. Something else that impressed me a lot was the use of his upper body. He's actually built closer to an Adama Traore than he is to any conventional um, quick winger that you see on the flanks. So he's able to use his body to endure contact, also able to give it back. You know, a lot of the times when he gets a barge, he doesn't move at all. Even when he's traveling at high speeds, he's absolutely fine. It doesn't look like 
it seems to bother him too much. So his upper body is very good and he uses it extremely well to shield. I think this is an important point. Um, something that we we'll talk about later on in the podcast, but his ability to keep the ball away from opponents by bringing his body in between the ball is very good, especially when he's, say, up against the touchline, when he's in a very tight spot. He can just hold off defenders for an extra second and knock the ball across the corner for for any runner that's making a run into space. So there are some elements of strength. There are some elements of cleverness in the way that he uses the ball, and his upper body is very fundamental to it. The fourth one, um, I think before I go on to it, there's, there is a question there, I think, which you would be more than happy to talk about. Yeah, so we did have a question, and we're going to frame this in... Because we mentioned this player in our in our Mudrik episode, and so I think it's, it's interesting we got the question again, but Basu asked the question, how much of his game can, can be paired to Robin, a, another former Chelsea player, another amazing winger, in terms of what he offered? Maybe not all at Chelsea, maybe some of that came elsewhere, but I think there is a thought that you may be watching the stepovers, watching the way he cuts in. There does seem to be some stylistic similarities, but how that plays out over a 90-minute period outside of a highlight reel, I think that's kind of the question that we wanted to frame up is like the the Robin maneuver as you framed it. Yeah, I think he, he Madueke is the prince of the Robin maneuver, I would say. Um, very good at coming from the right flank onto his, his stronger left and then going past a couple of defenders, making separation, making a little bit of space and then hitting it um, towards goal and he gets it right a lot of times. I think five or six goals he's got in the league from outside the box, which is something Chelsea have missed exceptionally. They just haven't had enough cracks at goal and then this guy consistently um, chops in and then and unleashes absolute pile drivers towards towards the goal. I was watching uh, a friendly against AC Milan and oof, like he scored twice and, and both goals were incredible. The way that he got uh, um, the shots away. One was exactly the way you would expect Robin to do. He cut inside and cracking, curling shot into the bottom left corner. And the second one, he he showed the opponent as if it was going to do the same thing, then cut inside and then hit it with his right. So definitely got a little bit of the Robin moves. Um, also has the injury history to go with it. But um, other than that, I think that glimpse of that that special glimpse of being able to consistently do one move with you know such incredible craft with such high degree of success i think it's it's definitely brought some memories of robin back so i think that would be the similarity that i would point out so as we kind of talk about it there there's some other traits as well i think you kind of highlighted we talked about this before also uh with Mikhailo, which was the gravity that the player has the ability to draw people in we talked a little bit about the shooting i know that's something i'd love to have the listeners hear a little bit more about and then we also had a question from owen who talked about just how good is his right foot because i know he's a left-footed player so maybe we could touch on those things as we start to round out on the total and complete package of the strengths that uh, madueke is going to bring no definitely i think um gravity is again something that we talked about in terms of Mudrik possessing it, the ability to just draw players in because you possess that level of 1v1 threat, the ability to to burst past players and cause issues. So you often see a lot of players congregate around him and try to to stop him. And he's also obviously a a left-footed player on the right-hand side. So most of the times you will see him progress it a little slower than conventional wingers on their stronger foot. So he will get the ball, he will probably take a touch in to set himself up and then by that time, you will see the fullback and maybe the corresponding central midfielder come and try to do a 2v1 against him. And that opens up spaces in a, in a lot of different areas in the attacking third, and especially the kind of low blocks that we tend to face. Having two wingers who can offer that level of you know threat in terms of not even doing anything, but just starting off by, by getting people to double up on you or triple up on you, I think it... it offers interesting avenues elsewhere on the pitch. So I think that is something that we will definitely see with Madueke as well. And something that we haven't seen with a lot of our wingers. Um, we haven't seen it with any of our wide forwards. 
especially when, say, Harvard drops from centre-forward to the right-hand side, you only see one player with him because you know that he's arguably not going to create, you know, guilt-edge opportunities even if he bursts into the right space. So I think this is going to be a refreshing change, having two guys who um, breathe the fear of God into defenders. I think that's going to be um, a big, big plus. Shooting, again, is something that is very interesting because he's got a very good volume of shooting and it's something that complements what exactly we are missing. We are a very short, shy side. We don't shoot as often as we should. We obviously look like we don't have any ideas when we come up against a compact block. Sometimes we're extremely slow in, in making decisions. The other day I was watching this TFO video where JJ Bull was talking about how we've got, I think, 1.2 meters per second in our attack speed, which is one of the slowest in the Premier League. So um, it's it's definitely going to be nice to have another live via winger who offers anywhere between three to four shots in terms of volume. He, he's got about three, four shots per game in him. So it'll be interesting to see him come in and then do that, like just do his thing from, from the right-hand side. Um, he's also very good at taking strikes while moving. It's something that I've uh, mentioned with the Robin thing. It's It's nice to see him explode on the side and at the same time be able to take shots while moving accurately. I think that's also something um, that a lot of people will see when he plays his first few games. It's He's able to keep his balance. It doesn't look like he he takes shots hastily or or if he's, you know, a little staggered when he's shooting. Uh, looks like he's used to shooting at that speed. And uh, he can also shoot with his right. You know, there was a question about how good his right foot is. Right foot is good. His right foot in terms of power generates a lot of power and at one point in time last season i think just before the leicester games he was taking more shots inside the box than any player in the rdbc so yeah so i mean it's it's impressive to have that level of threat you know not just somebody who obviously is offering a lot more uh wing play is offering a lot more uh pace in terms of the the flanks but is also able to offer a direct threat is able to shoot is able to to Directly threaten the goal, something that again we've lacked with with our wide players, with Hudson Adoy, with Pudisek, with whoever you can name. So I think that's been an issue. And uh, the last point I would like to say that you know he draws fouls. He obviously is an extremely nimble threat. He's able to to evade players. He's able to to um, leave them tangled in terms of trying to tackle him. So um, maybe in the Premier League, when you have a good set piece taker will offer its own opening. So that's about the strengths then. I think those are a good set of strengths. Yeah. Again, I think that this underlines the fact that even considering the age or the price or the league, that generally he's got such a high floor already in terms of what he can do. Again, we're getting on the weaknesses that might restrict his ability to always provide at that floor that Chelsea have done some really shrewd business here, acquired a young player on a long deal. We know it's somewhere in the seven and a half plus one or eight and a half plus one type of space. We just don't know what the full contract is because we are recording this uh, before the official announcement, but uh, we are pretty sure that this is, uh, this is kind of done and getting across the line. So maybe we'll, uh, we'll take our quick break here. And then we'll get into some of those weaknesses, some of the concerns that we know you and other, you know, you, know, you Sam have and other listeners have as well when we kind of talk about what, what would prevent Madueke from being a real shining star at Chelsea. So stick around. We'll be right back. All right, Sam. So again, we have to do the listeners justice. We have to bounce the equation, bounce the books. We have just heaped praise on Madueke for a solid 20 plus minutes. And now... There are some concerns that individuals have brought up. We know Mike asked the question about specific injuries. Transfer market has a generic knock or muscle injury tag. We had our good friend Taylor, also known in our discourse, Techie Tiger, asking just about, does he need to go on a strength and conditioning program? The injury record is a huge glare. And we're saying this in a season where Chelsea have just been struck down by injuries to almost every single major or bit player in the squad. And so I think that comes in as probably the primary concern that most people, we asked a question, what people wanted to know before this episode, this was the one that was really 
at the top of everybody's list. And so I know there are a few more that you want to get into, but I think we have to start at the injury record. Yeah, his durability is is far and beyond the biggest issue. It's um, It was ringing alarm bells even when um, we were linked to the player in terms of just how many minutes he's played, how many games he started. So just for the record, he's missed 279 days, which is about 54 games due to injury at PSV. And most of the injuries, according to Transfermarkt, are muscle-related. The most serious injury he's had is an ankle injury, which was his last and most recent injury. And he was out for almost three months, 81 days. So uh, he's had quite a lot of muscle issues, the same that Kristen Pulisic went through when he was with us, when he is with us and when he's been with us. So um, I think that's going to be genuinely a big, big concern. Um can strength and conditioning improve it? Sure. I mean, we've seen Ruben Loftus-Cheek go through a lot of injuries related to his growth spurt. Before Kai Havertz came to the club because he had a growth spurt, um, his back issues, his lower back issues were very prominent. He's been relatively injury-free. Um, so hopefully something can be done with the conditioning program with, with world-class fitness, with world-class conditioning. It can be improved. The question is, do we have that at the club with the amount of injuries that we're going through? So... That's, again, a quick question mark. Um, in terms of availability, I would also say it's a big, big issue. I was just sitting down and figuring out how bad is it at his age. Again, you have to factor in the fact that he's 20 years old. But in the LADVZ, he's only completed the full 90 minutes thrice in almost three years. So, And then two of those have come in his last two games. So he hasn't really finished in 90 minutes. He's just come on for, for little spells. Just to break down, out of 47 games, he started 20. And in the th- in 31 of those 47 games, he's played less than 45 minutes. So um, it's, it's very concerning. You want your player to be available. You want your player to be able to last 90 minutes. You all saw what happened with Tanga and Dombele. Uh, he came in from Lyon and there were concerns about his work ethic. I mean, they were very prominent in terms of very promising player but can't last the full 90. And eventually he he had to force a move out because, you know, he just couldn't last the intensity of the Premier League. So how well is he going to adapt? Is he still going to be an impact substitute? And then you have a front three of, say, a Harvard, Raheem Sterling and and a, and a Mudrik, you know, as, as the front three. And then have Madueke come in and make these little cameos where he's upsetting the apple cart. So maybe the club has a, a more well-defined plan in mind. I'm not very certain in terms of what the what the potential is to improve his fitness. Um, another weakness I would like to say is his his head down actions. He often keeps his head down in, in close quarter actions when he's 1v1. He usually keeps his head down and he, he tries to, to run at people. So most of what comes to him is naturally what he can see in his immediate vicinity. But when it comes to picking out passes that open up because of his gravity, because three players are are reacting to the chaos by coming close to him, sometimes he doesn't find better options. He's, he started finding it a little bit now in this season, but like the earlier games that I was watching um, in, in his first year, in his second year at, at the club, it looked like he had issues in terms of trying to get the ball out when he's running at high speed towards options that are opening up because of the space that he's creating, because of the chaos that he's creating. So needs to get his head up, needs to be able to do that needs to be able to find better options in better spaces. Even when he's shooting, sometimes he knows exactly which spot he's going to get before he gets his head up and then he gets to shoot. So um, those things also need to be improved. I think he he definitely needs to to be more frequent with his scanning and, and assessing of his, of his immediate options. So I think he can make wiser options. I think it only goes to benefit him. But... Uh, surprisingly enough, Dan, I think most of the times he shoots, I'm like, he isn't looking up. He's just looking down. And he gets it on target. He gets it more than on target. He places it very, very well. So maybe it's his muscle memory. Maybe he just takes one glance and that's all he needs in terms of where he wants to hit it and how he wants to hit it. So um, in my sense, in my understanding, I think it would be nicer if he could constantly be able to assess where he is and what he's doing. Um, somebody also mentioned about the the weak foot, the right foot. I think in terms of being able to use it as a sledgehammer and generate a lot of power, his right foot is there. He's able to, to hit it very hard. He's able to be um, very strong in terms of generating shots. But when it comes to doing the more 
delicate stuff like being able to cross or being able to to put in nice neat passes through gaps that's when his weak foot sort of makes itself known you then realize that he's not very adept at it sometimes he's able to to get away from pressure and get to the byline on his right foot and the cross is just terrible it doesn't sometimes it's skied sometimes it's under hit so it looks like he hasn't got his right foot delivery consistently right so it's something that he desperately needs to improve on because you want that two-footed threat if you look on the left hand side of our attack we have virtually the definition of a two-footed winger somebody who looks like his right and left identical so uh, that's what the that's what the standard should be but again mudrik is is 22 23 so you've got two three years to develop that and that's what i think the club is looking at that he's already got his power straight all he needs to do is get his accuracy right and and we'll have another two-footed winger on the books so that's something that also needs to be taken into to perspective is his weaker foot its accuracy its ability to to create openings not shoot but create openings uh another point would be his crossing he is his crossing is non existent basically i don't remember of the of the times that i watched his games and logged events that i've seen him cross it's very very rare and i was thinking okay maybe it's because you know you don't have the right kind of center forwards but he's got some good finishers he's got Luke De Jong, he's got Eran Zahabi, who's uh, who's played with him at centre forward. So it's not really the kind of you know a Havertz-like attacker or a false nine who's not going to be able to get at the end of those deliveries. So he doesn't cross. He relies purely on making things happen. He's not very good at making sure that other people can make things happen. So it's he's very ball-oriented kind of creator. He will get you everything through dribbling, not so much through crossing, not so much through balls. So. That's again something that's going to be one to watch. Will he be able to improve it? What is he going to do with it? Uh, the numbers I was looking at on SofaScore, the first season at PSV, played four games, zero crosses. Second season, 0.3 accurate crosses per 90. So that's a 38% accuracy rate. Last season, 0.1 per 90 minutes. That's a 12% accuracy rate. That's as bad as, I think, Branislav Ivanovic. Uh, at his worst crossing season, I think he was at 11%. So completing one accurate cross every 10 games just speaks volumes about how bad you are. So I think he needs to improve that. And the last point I would say is the most important. It's his predictability. He's very predictable in terms of where he wants to go. I think he's got an overwhelming um, preference to to go towards the right-hand side. And it's it's a lot like Robin used to do. You know that he was going to cut inside and shoot. He does the same thing. He, you, you know exactly what he's going to do. Also, when you look at him, his body position is oriented almost all the time towards getting towards the center. So he's almost at a 45 degrees. He uses his right shoulder to block off any defender who's trying to make a tackle. So you can shield it with your right shoulder, with your right hand side, and then use your body to pivot onto you know the center and then burst inside. So that's what his, his default body position is like. When you look at other wingers, they're usually facing their defender. So you don't really know which way they're going to go, whether they're going to cut inside, whether they're going to go to the byline and cross or, or make any other kind of threat. So I think that predictability is going to be a major issue. It's something that we saw with Ziyech. Whenever the ball came to him, you knew he was going to take one touch. He was going to bring it again to his left-hand side, open up his body and cross. And it's something that Maduegi does as well. So it's it's definitely going to be a question mark whether he can be as effective a threat doing the same thing over and over again. You know, it's all great when Bruce Lee says it, that you need to practice, you know, I fear the man who practices one kick thousand times rather than a guy who practices a thousand kicks one time. So I think it's it's the same case with, with Madhueke as well. He needs to be a lot more unpredictable with this threat. He needs, he has the pace, he has the acceleration, he has the footwork, he can develop into it. But again, I think a lot of how the club is looking at it is that he can make these things happen. He's only 20 years old. He's barely had any minutes to to try this out real time. So if he gets regular game time by the age of 22, 23, where is he going to go and how is he going to develop? So those are the question marks there. But again, I think the age factor has to be has to be taken into account. It's just, does he have the fundamentals? Yes. Can he improve this? Yes. Will he do it for certain? I don't know feel like when he makes that move to Chelsea now and jumps into our team and starts getting some of that analysis there, I mean, I, I think 
he has the skill set to be the unconventional swordsman and not the best or second best swordsman, uh, kind of the, the twain piece, like, you know, in terms of who you have to fear in that regard. And it will only make him more of a threat if he can diversify that ability to not always cut in or kind of go to the right, but, you know, maybe differentiate a little bit more. I think just in general, like, again, we talked about this, it's a good floor to start from, but there's a massive amount of opportunity. There's a massive amount of growth that this player can have because, again, he's still only 20 years old. And so even when we're talking about weaknesses, we're talking about things that are absolutely coachable and could be addressed, improved, or mitigated by the work that he continues to do on the training ground and with the coaching staff. Yeah, I think this is a lot like real estate, to be honest, Dan. It's like making sure that you get the most valuable land and then figuring out what you can build with it. So I think it's it's what the, te- the, what the recruitment team has said that they want to do. You've got all the right raw materials. You've got all the right ingredients. He's obviously a very talented, intelligent very good individual in terms of not just his on-the-pitch influence, but off-the-pitch as well. So the idea is to get him young and to get him at a price where a lot of people aren't really going for him because small sample size, hasn't really played a lot, injury issues, don't really know whether you know he can get... He's not even an international. He's only played at England 21 level. So um, those factors have again played into our hands and said, okay, if we have to take a punt for eight years on somebody who's young and and has the best years ahead of him. So why not? So I think that's the entire idea about it. And I'm, you know, I, I'm not against it at all. I see this as a Padia Shield kind of deal where you find a player who's not really valued at his best, who's not having a breakout season, but he showed glimpses of that. And he showed regular glimpses of what he can do. So you get them there and then try to figure out how you can get it out of them on a consistent basis. Well, we're going to talk more about the potential, about where he fits at Chelsea, maybe some player parallels that we can draw, benefits to other players in the squad, answer a few more questions before we get out of here. But we're going to take one more quick break and we'll be right back. All right, Sam. So as we start to hit the back end of this podcast episode, we will talk about the potential in terms of what are the things that he can kind of continue to do in grow upon uh, we had a question initially from flip asking a little bit about the defensive work rate you know i think chelsea has historically had wingers who can do a little bit of both uh sometimes to the detriment of being really great attacking wingers which i think is what we want first and foremost but maybe that was one of the items from a potential standpoint we want to talk about i know you had one or two others uh, addressing some of the questions we had from phil and mr hat in terms of you know their questions about the player as well no, I, it's a good question in terms of how does he do in terms of work rate. I think there is, again, a lot to build on on here. He's He's got this inclination to do the work. And I think that's the first fundamental that I want to see, that a player wants to work hard. And he's got the mentality for it. A lot of the times you will see him work extremely hard in the attacking third. He presses well. He makes sure that he's counter-pressing well. So he will he will go after players after he loses the ball or after after the team loses the ball. So he does that attacking third work well. And it's it's no secret because obviously you've got Roger Schmidt who was coaching him until until last season. And Roger Schmidt is the same guy who was coaching Enzo Fernandez and, and the Benfica side now. So a lot of counter-pressing, a lot of high-intensity work as soon as you lose the ball. And that's the same principle here as well. So um, he's, he's very well attuned to working hard in the attacking third. Also tracks back. I think something that I really like about him is um, he tracks back, he gets into the right defensive position, and then he recovers his energy. Then he waits for the play to come to him. Then he will go and he will he will sort of do his defending. The only thing I would say is sometimes he, he can look a little casual, he can look a little haphazard, can look a little half-hearted in terms of, should I give the extra 20% to, to do this bit? And I think that's where the improvement needs to come. He needs to add that final 10% of effort to say that, okay, I've come here until the penalty box. Let's go deeper and follow my finger all the way to the byline and block out that cross. I think that's where he needs to improve. And he's got the speed and the pace to be a good transition threat. So the deeper he goes into his own half, if he can find the right out ball, I think it also benefits him on the flip side. So whenever he goes on a counter-attack, I think he'll have more space to attack. So I think it's correlated. I think the opportunities, if made clear to him, will also make it also abundantly important to him that defensive work is going to be good. There are good glimpses. I, I think that he works hard. He's not somebody like a Leao who will just 
walls and wait for the ball to come to him, but he'll go to the ball and, and get worked on. So I think that's a good thing to do. Um, there are other potential questions as well, Dan. I think uh, it'll be nice to address those as well. Yeah, we had Phil's question about the potential to be a goal-scoring winger, which we talked about a little bit, but he talked about the more, like, the Eden Hazard, beat the man and create, which we, we also addressed a little bit. But I think Mr. Hat's question kind of took this one level further and talked about, is he strictly a winger? Well, he has to be, because otherwise my pun in the beginning won't won't be, have any more value. But he wants to know, could he offer us a little cover at right wing back in the way for maybe a Reese James or maybe what we've seen like with Lewis Hall where he's had a chance to push a little further forward and be more of like a attacking defender in some capacity uh, to maybe kind of give us an overload on, on the pitch. I mean, I think it's an interesting uh, question. I don't know if, uh, you know, the, the defensive elements that we kind of just talked about um, would really make him suited for that unless you feel like you are really locked solid in defense. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting question because uh, in the 2021 season, he actually contributed with seven goals and four assists in 24 games. And out of just them, seven of them were starts. So he does have a lot of goal scoring potential. I think he has a very guilt-edged threat. He's able to provide that. It's just afterwards, he hasn't been able to replicate it on a consistent basis. But again, that's due to his reduced game time. Um, not being able to be on the pitch for longer periods. I mean, average game time around 45 minutes, 40 minutes, not really ideal to express yourself. But I think in terms of versatility, he's he's actually been used in a couple of different positions. He's been used as a second forward by Roger Schmidt. So he's actually played some somewhat like a Kai Havertz's his, his best position. He's, he's played with Right next to Cody Gakpo, he's played next to to Daniel Marlin as one of two forwards. So he is versatile. He actually is able to offer that amount of threat from from the right wide forward position. And I think that ideally could be his his best position in the future. I think his overall qualities are more suited to that kind of a role where you have two wide forwards who are split. So nobody's occupying the center. So if you give him the chance to do that, especially with his strength, with his ability to drift and, and drop as deep as the halfway line and then pick up the ball and run into spaces. I think you're utilizing him far better than in a positionally rigid um, right wing role. So he's he's definitely got the ability to do that. I think at England under 21 level, he's also played on the left. So it's not like he's tied to one flank as such. He can play on either wing. So the variety is there. The, the versatility is there. It's just which is his best position. He's made himself a specialist at right wing. I think it would be a nice option to try it as a as, as a right forward in a, in a front two. And uh, does he fit at right wing back? Um, I think it'll be sort of like a Sterling kind of experiment. It'll be probably three centre-backs and using one full-back as, as tucking in and making a back four and then allowing the, the other wing back to, to take on attacking duty. Something that we saw against... Was was it Salzburg? I think earlier on. So yeah, uh, under Porto. So it's it's definitely going to be one of those things where you can have asymmetrical wing backs. You have one wing back offering defensive new, and the other one offering attacking thrust. So you can ask him to do that. His dual numbers are good. His dual quantity is good. He contests about four, four and a half duels a game. Wins about 60 percent of them, which is really really good. He's also pretty good in the air. He doesn't compete at all. <laughs> he doesn't jump very often, but when he does, <clears throat> tends to win the ball. So he's definitely got the mindset is there. It's just how much of it can he do, especially with the number of minutes that he's spent. I have I have certain questions about how good his engine is, whether he can last the 90 minutes. If you're asking him to do a wing back shift, how many, how many minutes is he going to last? So I would rather just use him as a right-wing option. I wouldn't really put him at right-wing back. In emergency purposes, can he play that role? Yes, like Sterling did at times, like Pulisic did at times, but not overly somebody that you need to rely on week in and week out. So now as we talk about it, because we've seen people putting their preferred lineups out, we've seen the Chelsea starting 11 at the start of next season, or even heading into the round of fixtures after this little mini winter break coming up. 
where he fits in this Chelsea side, and I think Rohit asked the question perfectly on the pros and cons when compared to Ziyech, because I think he feels like the one who is ultimately the biggest loser of this type of player coming in in Madueke, who is younger, who now has a long-term contracted deal, who the club is going to be super committed to the long-term investment in this individual, uh, whereas someone like Ziyech, who has been in good spill, uh, in good spirits at times and not in bad spirits at times, in good form at times and not good form at other times, and has you know been interested in opportunities elsewhere, whether that's returning to to um, to Ajax or potentially going to AC Milan. There's been multiple connections that uh, we've had a chance to speak with our reporter friends about. So it feels like that is the biggest loser of this, but it feels like that's where the plug and play immediate fit is for Chelsea to create havoc on the right-hand side and to really um, both play the ball in and uh, give, you know, I think the give a defense a nightmare when you think about Reese James in the future and Madueke playing on the right-hand side together. That just sounds like an absolute nightmare for someone. No, for sure. I think, um, like Rohit said, I think Ziyech is the biggest loser in this. And we've known that he's arguably going to be moved on eventually. It was just a matter of when rather than if. And with Leao's contract talks not going very well at Milan and, and us obviously being out of the race, I think, I don't know if like Milan will reignite their interest in Ziyech and, and try to figure out if they can take him on a on a low-risk deal and then see if, if they can they just plug and play him on the right-hand side. So um, it'll be interesting. I, I think in terms of similarities, in terms of pros and cons, I would say... Madhuweke is much, much better at creating separation. A lot of the times we saw when Ziyech was playing in, in the right-hand side, he needed somebody to be making overlap. Some of his best moments, even for the Tottenham goal that everybody remembers now, it was actually Aspilicueta who was making width for him, who was just distracting the fullback a little bit to say, don't try to press Ziyech, otherwise, you know, the ball's going to be played into me. If you create that little bit of doubt, if you give him the extra half second for him to just take that setting up touch and hitting it. Ziyech is extremely good. I think he's very, very good. Madhuweke doesn't need that. You know, he obviously likes somebody to be to be holding width when he comes into the left-right half space because that's his favorite sort of zone, the half space and out wide. But he can essentially create that separation on his own. He He just has the explosiveness from a standing start, the deception to just blitz pass on, on the left-hand side and, and shoot. So he can create his own space, doesn't need that kind of hand-holding that Ziyech needed because Ziyech isn't as agile as as Madueke is. So I think that's the positive. In terms of negatives, I would say both of them can be frustrating on their worst days. Obviously, we saw a lot of Ziyech performances where it looked like he was extremely frustrated with his bench role, you know, couldn't understand how he gave a good performance and then just inevitably was dropped somewhere. So the same thing can happen with Madueke as well, you know, especially when you're not playing often. He just comes into some games and, and some of the games he just tries five dribbles, six dribbles. And there was a game where he tried 10 dribbles in a game and only three of them came off. So it can be very hard-headed in terms of, I want to be the sole creator. I want to try and make things happen even when it's not your day. And he can look equally frustrating. It's just that Ziyech peppers shots and, and you see them go wide and Madhuweke just, you know, puts his head down, tries to dribble and runs into cul-de-sac. So they can be very frustrating on their day. But again, one is 20 and the other is somewhere close to 28, 29. So huge difference. And if you can mold a younger player into understanding that he's not the only cog in the machine, then I think that that certain thing could happen. But I've seen performances where he can be immensely frustrating with his decisions. So uh, hopefully with, with the little weaknesses that he has, if he can improve those, this tendency will also hopefully just go away. So as we talk about then, who is going to benefit most playing with Madueke? I think there's a couple of individuals. I talked a little bit about Rhys James, who I think is going to really enjoy playing with him. But I know there's a couple others that you wanted to highlight in terms of maybe player or just even position who's going to appreciate the gravity that Madueke has in his game, the ability to take on an individual and stay up and continue moving forward. So it, it feels like there is 
some really nice benefits for other players in the squad by dropping him in too. I think before we we talk about where he fits, I think it's important to highlight like how he fits in um, at PSV. So a lot of the times, obviously, he starts on the right-hand side of a 4-2-3-1. Uh, he's the right winger and you've obviously got one center forward, one, one central attacking mid, and there was Gakpo on the left-hand side who's offering a similar threat from the other wing. Um, and, and a lot of the times you would see Madueke take the ball on the right-hand side and, and obviously drift inside towards the center. He would just take the fullback, he would take the center-back inside. And what that would mean is it would scrunch up the opposition's back four or back five towards the center and the right-hand side and open up the right wing for creation or purposes. So what PSV did was they usually asked their, their central attacking midfielder, which was either Mario Kotze or it was either Gustil, to, to drift out on the right-hand side and get that extra space to create. So that pocket on the right-hand side that opens up when, when Madueke drifts inside, I think is going to be instrumental. And there's one player who makes the best out of that pocket, um, arguably in, in world football with his crosses, and that's Rhys James. So Rhys James will obviously be a big beneficiary of somebody trying to take a couple of players from that side inside. And if you don't follow Madueke in, he's arguably going to have a lot more space, or basically a red carpet rolled out to him to just take a shot on. And um, then anything can happen, you know, with his accuracy, with, with the power that he hits it with. Uh, you want your players to track him. So I think that right pocket will be will be interesting to exploit. Um, somebody else who can who can do that very well, I think, is Kai Havertz. Havertz is somebody who, at Leverkusen, had his best moments when he was drifting right from the central positions when he was trying to pick up the ball in that empty pocket when he was trying to make things happen from there and obviously the converse as well going from the right hand side and then trying to attack the center so i think there can be a nice positional understanding between kai havertz at center forward and maduegi considering how both then like drift how both them like to to move towards the center there's also some very interesting games where maduegi is showing some of the experience that he's picked up playing at, at the centre-forward position. I was very surprised with his box movement, for example. There's a couple of moments where um, the kind of double movements you see from seasoned forwards, when you see, for example, Victor Osman and um, very, very good forwards like Adinson Cavani, just this ability to go forward, break, go back, lose your defender and make space for yourself. Madhuike does that at 20 and he hasn't even played at centre-forward for a long, long time. So... There is probably some tendency of him being able to hold that central position on his own. He's got the strength for it. There are some glimpses of his link-up play. He's able to link-up play with because he's got such great back-to-goal kind of play. He's, his body is very robust. He can hold off players and play simple passes off. So, you know, who knows whether you can you can have something to think of it tactically there. Somebody who's comfortable in central positions, but also a very devastating threat on the right-hand side. So... Um, arguably, Kai Havertz and, and Reese James, I think, are two players who would benefit the most. It would be interesting to have somebody like Raheem Sterling on the left-hand side, you know, benefiting from, from the box movement that he brings, the elusiveness that, that obviously we haven't really seen at Chelsea. So, um, could also be an interesting option should you be allowed to, to play him close to Madueke and figure out if you can get in that extra space and how to use him. So, three of these players would probably be my bet as to who would benefit. I think another question that we received or we kind of talked about is just, what does it mean for the other wingers? You know, we mentioned a few of them, but there are others who are asking about Callum Hudson-Odoi, who's on loan. What does this mean for all the future attackers? It, it does feel like an, the immediate short term is it creates a pathway for, for Ziyech to go elsewhere it potentially could create a scenario where other individuals who maybe do play that right wing even though i think callum would tell you that he prefers playing on the left hand side is that there might be kind of some log jam there uh we also know players like uh, christian pulisic who are out injured uh is another individual in terms of that attack you know we've seen you know interests already from multiple supporters about like how do you get you know, uh, Felix as a, on a on a permanent deal. Like we talked about, who pe other people benefit, but it does feel like this is the the one of the maybe the second domino after the the Mudrik deal, where 
you're now in a situation where the summer or even the late transfer window departures out of Chelsea uh, in that forward uh, forward line is going to start to happen. No, you've absolutely done my work for me. I think, I think, um, we already know the kind of names that that want to leave or should have left a while ago. And with Pulisic's contract, for example, running down at the end of 2024, maybe he's looking for a new challenge. Um, with the kind of renewals that we are seeing, long-term renewals, I think Chaloba got, I think, seven, eight-year deal for Chaloba. So I don't think Pulisic at this age gets that kind of deal. So what kind of value are we looking at to, to get from him? Uh, to me, it points only in one direction that Ziesh, Pulisic, um, if there is interest for Harvards, maybe Harvards also leaves. Um, Felix obviously goes back uh, back to his club on loan. He signed a new extension. I think, like we said, in the Nkunku pod, I think Felix was just just coming in to step in in those six months that Nkunku is not able to join us. So I think that's, that's when like Felix leaves. So you only have Nkunku two of the new winger signings. And um, I, I think Callum hudson leaves as well. So I think there are essentially three or four outgoings straight up, straight up considering the kind of interest we might have. Ziyech is, I think, tied up to 2025. So I would expect four outgoings, at least maybe two of them in, in the Jan window. I think we wouldn't have signed these many players if it meant having no outgoing. So definitely spells, you know, the end of the Chelsea career for for three or four players for me. But um, yeah, these these players, would, I would say, the ones that have been struggling to recapture their form who desperately want a change of scenery are the first to go out. So yeah, and I think it will also be an interesting thing to see how the attack is restructured. Just like the midfield, I really don't know whether we're trying to go for two wide forwards because Nkunku isn't really a centre forward as well. He's, he's somewhere between a... Um, a second forward and a 10. So he's also a left winger. So he's not really a specialist CF as well. So we have no center forwards except Armando Breuer, who's on the sidelines. And then we have a, a truckload of, of wide attackers and, and attackers who can basically double up as wide forwards. So maybe the, the long term, this thing is looking at a 3-5-2 maybe or a, a similar formation like a 4-2-2-2. With two center forwards and two wide forwards, I would say, and then not having the need to buy a number nine because when I'm looking at the options in the market, there isn't really an option we can go for without getting another transfer ban. So I think that would be the the restructuring. Push out all the wide forwards, keep the new ones, give them a chance to blossom. Um, It'll probably be Madueke and um, Omari Hutchinson on the right. It'll probably be uh, Mikhailo Mudrik and Raheem Sterling on the left. And if Havertz is lucky to, to survive the, the ruthless culling of, of talent, then then he stays and, and finds a way on, on either side of attack. So, so let's see. I think that's my prediction. It'll be two, two wide forwards rather than getting one centre forward and, and trying to play with him. Or we'll probably see a false nine. I don't know. Well, things to keep in mind as we will not get a chance to see him play against Liverpool this pod. You might have listened to it after the Liverpool game where hopefully Chelsea have won and Mikhail Mundrick has scored a winner after coming off the bench and tapped the badge, sliding into the corner flag, giving the Liverpool fans the what-what. And, uh, yeah, hopefully that happened. If not, I'm sorry. Uh, that's just, you know, how I'm, I'm dreaming it up. What kind of close on maybe the mentality? This is one thing that you always like to point out, some of the, the non-tangible, the, the fungible elements of a, a player and their psyche as a way to kind of encapsulate it and to give your final player parallel for the, the good, good-level career. Where would he trajectory to? And then the high-level career, what is he trajectory to? In terms of mentality, Dan, I was just going through a lot of interviews from his time at PSV and, and just trying to understand what kind of an individual he is. I was very impressed with, with his humility, with his, with his self-awareness. I think he's a very confident individual, but not really arrogant. I think he understands how good he is, but he's also, you know, he radiates that sense of self-assuredness that he he wants to make it on his terms. Like I said, he was arguably one of the first English youngsters to leave um, the shores to try and find a first-team opportunity. I think this was even before Sancho um, went to Dortmund. So 
he was one of the first to go and, and say that I want a first team spot and PSV is the best place to do it. A lot of people sort of commented on it saying, why not go to Chelsea? Why not go to Manchester United? Because those are more lucrative moves and obviously a better chance to, to make an impression. But you can tell how confident he is in his ability to, to make that impression. And it's, it's great to see. I think he's very, he also mentioned in, in an interview how he spent the Christmas, he spent the New Year just sitting at home and then like, you know, spending some time with family and um, talks a lot about how he is a quick, quick player. He's, he's got speed. He's got the dribbling ability. He's very clever. He's a showman. So again, somebody who's very confident of a skill set and um, constantly wants to improve. I think he says it in all his interviews in terms of he needs to be playing at a higher level. Uh, the fact that he rejected moves to those clubs and and wants to to build his own path and and he also said that at the age of twenty, I think it's incredible for me to look back and say, look, I've already played about seventy first team games. I think that's a very good base to build from, and all he needed was a was a springboard to now propel himself with all those additional talents to wherever else he wants to go. So I think that's that's the player that we're getting. Somebody who's very grounded. Somebody, I think, is also a London boy, so he'll fit in very well with the club, the culture. And again, um, like uh, like we were discussing, Dan, I think he qualifies as a homegrown player as well, uh, I think, for the Premier League, doesn't he? Uh, yeah, that's what Phil... Co- yeah, that's what Phil communicated on social, uh, also known as Chelsea Youth, that he would qualify under the Premier League's rules. He would not qualify under UEFA's registration. So uh, that's just something to keep in mind, that there's a little bit of a differentiation for how they evaluate uh, who technically qualifies as a club train because it's an age bracket. And the at the age that he left Tottenham to go to PSV, it was it it meant that he would qualify for the FA's requirements. He would not qualify for UEFA's requirements. Yeah, I think that's that's an added bonus to that. But mentality wise, I'm very happy. I think he, all the players that we've got, all the young players that we've got, are sort of in the same line of of you know being slightly religious. I think he's also he also mentions God. He says as long as I have faith in God and God has faith in me, I'm I'm going to make it. So he seems like a very grounded individual, very religious individual, driven by faith. And then I think it's nice to have. It's something that Mudrik has also you know mentioned in his in his interviews in the past with with Shakhtar. So it's good to have these young players who have a spiritual core, who actually feel like they're they're held by the ambition or by the passion of wanting to be the best athletes they can. Something to just anchor them down in a life where it's so easy to, to be cast adrift. I think that's nice to see. Same with Badi Ashil. So just fingers crossed and hope that he can turn into a prodigious talent. You know, I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. I think he has the right ingredients. But yeah, the engine worries me a lot. The the availability, the injuries, they worry me a lot. I, I wouldn't have made this deal. But again, what do I know? I'm just... I'm just trying to speculate in terms of how how the deal will go, but in terms of talent, he's, he's phenomenal. There's there's no question about it. Uh, with the player parallel, I I think I've mentioned Robin a couple of times. Um, I I think he's actually closer to a to a Rafa Silva, somebody I've seen at Benfica, who's who's gone on and done some extremely good stuff in the last couple of years. He he's much much like him in terms of having that potency to score and and actually be a nice central threat. I think he can be somebody like him. So I think the upper trajectory would be obviously a Bayern Munich level Iron Robin. And a mid-level sort of good kind of level would be Rafa Silva. I think Rafa Silva has been exceptional. But I'm saying even if he gets to that level, I think I'd be I'd be very, very happy. So I think those are the two references I would give. All right. Well, hopefully that gets you excited. And hopefully you are now as educated as we can get you within a single podcast on but uh, Nani Madueke is going to bring to Chelsea. And as Chelsea continue to spend and make deals and have the Good Meal Great Food Tour 2023, that uh, we we continue to educate you to the extent that we are, are able. So, uh, Sam, as always, super appreciate it. Super thankful that you got on the mend quickly. You got the research 
condensed in. I don't know how you make the time. It's a testament to your commitment to giving the Chelsea community a really, really thorough examination of a player when Chelsea bring him on board. So from the entire Chelsea community uh, to you, just wanted to, again, say thank you for all the information that you've shared in this episode. Oh, thank you so much. I mean, I'm, I'm only grateful for for all the love, for all the appreciation. I think at, at this point, it's become ritual that every time Fabrizio tweets out a link or Einstein says that we are linked to somebody, everybody just says, I hope you're okay. You know, if you want to to DM me or something, talk to me, I'm always here. It's just the kind of compassion and, and niceness that has come my way. I think that's, that's very humbling. And um, I have you guys to thank for it as well, for giving me such an incredible platform and all the people that are listeners from fan base. So I think... Um, I can only be grateful and and give back what they've given me. That's why I work so hard, I guess, and, and try to be worthy of their time. Well, as always, uh, I will be the arbiter for the community and say you are absolutely 1,000% worth the time. And uh, I don't think we are done recording these episodes, but hopefully we can at least enjoy a little bit of a break over the course of the weekend here. And hopefully we watch Chelsea beat Liverpool again. I'm just putting that goodness out into the world. If it didn't come good, don't come after me. Um, but that's going to wrap it for this one. So uh, we will see you in a Dan and Sam special uh, very soon, most likely as Chelsea continue to do business and Todd Bowley just keeps getting it done. But until next time, Chelsea fans, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.